You're listening to the TrekMate Family Network. Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lion-O, command it. Hi, I'm Larry Kenny, the voice of Lion-O in the original Thundercat series, and you're listening to TrekMate. Welcome to TrekMate Presents. My name is Wayne Emery. When I was growing up, there was a select few people that truly influenced the person in which I grew up to be today. Obviously, my parents and brothers and sisters played a huge part in moulding my personality. But as well as them, there was someone that truly stood out in my life. He taught me my basic moral compass that I still today strive to uh, live by. He taught me to value truth, justice, honour and loyalty. He inspired, entertained and really brought my imagination to life. Though I am sure I'm not the only person who felt this way. This week I'm being joined by none other than the Lord of the Thundercats himself, the man behind Lion-O, the one and only Larry Kenny. Oh my goodness. Hello Wayne, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very, very what a, good. What a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. Of course, uh, now I know that that, um, uh, that that it's not me that's responsible for that, but it was Lionel, but I'm, I accept uh, your, your generous comments on his behalf. Well, the, the thing is, you was obviously a vital part of, uh, of that system, it, as well as the writers and animators, you, you was a vital part. You're, you're the man that brought that character to life. Well, that's true, I guess, and thank you, uh, thank you again for that. And that's um, that's one of the reasons that I and uh, and I might I must say all the rest of the people who worked on uh, on creating Thundercats. Uh, uh, that's the reason that we we all hold uh, very dear the the legacy that it, uh, it created and that it, actually that you fans created, and uh, why we're very protective of, of its legacy. And uh, it means a lot to us, too, because over the years I've received uh, uh, lots of l- l- mail originally and then email and, and phone calls, and when I meet people at uh, Comic-Cons and things, many of them say that very thing, and, and um, that's important to me, you know. And it means a lot to me to have been a part of something that's become 
so iconic, not not just, you know, uh, as entertainment, but uh, I know that it meant a lot more, the show meant a lot more than just, you know, entertainment to, to many people, and and um, I appreciate that. It it really did, and uh, that's the thing, I, I can't stress enough, I know you've heard this uh, hundreds of thousands of times by now, but it... Uh, that show really did uh, mean a lot to me, and still does to this day. It's I, 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 and no matter how many times I've heard it, it's always nice to hear. So thank you, Wayne. Now, long before there was Lino, there was Larry. <laughs> yeah, way long before. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you mind going back to the very beginning? Uh, no, of course not. Of course not. Well, I was born at nine a.m. <laughs> Well, you don't mean that beginning, do you? Well, no, well, you was gr- you grew up in Illinois, didn't you? I did, I did, which is right. Uh, it's it's called uh, the Midwest in this country. It's it's not actually in the middle of the country, but uh, of course it, it was when when the before the country was fully developed and you know spread out to California. But anyway, it's it's for those of you who may not know in your audience because you're in the mm-hmm. UK. It's uh, it borders um, Indiana, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, it borders uh, Missouri, Kentucky. Uh, we have a lot of neighbors because of the unusual shape of the state. And I was born right in the middle of that state. Uh, let me put it this way: halfway between Chicago and St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, no, that, uh, that's pretty. And we do have a lot of American listeners as well, so I'm sure they'll be okay. nodding along <laughs> in agreement. Know where it is. Yeah, sure. The town is actually called. I grew up in a town called Pekin, Illinois. P-E-K-I-N. But more people will recognize the town right across the river where I, I started my career in radio. And, uh, that's Peoria, Illinois. So, in fact, there's a phrase here in this country uh, mm-hmm. that I think got started in the in the theater business when Broadway shows used to go out on the road before they uh, and vaudeville shows before they played New York. <clears throat> they always asked, "Will it play in Peoria?" Because it's considered like the you know the the heartland of the country where. It's not a big city, and it's just common folks, you know. And mm-hmm. if it'll play there, it'll it should play anywhere, you know. Yeah, if it speaks to the uh, the average Joe, then you've got it sussed. Exactly, it's kind of like the Liverpool or yeah. Manchester, maybe of England. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so uh, just out of curiosity, did you say the place was called Pekin? Did I what? Yeah, uh, uh, the place that you grew up was called Pekin. Pekin, yes, P-E-K-I-N. The the uh, the the story that I got growing up is that it was named that because it's on the exact same parallel uh, geographically as Peking, China. In fact, there's also uh, down about 40 miles away is a town called uh, Canton, you know, Canton, yeah. Illinois. And so that may be true. I don't know. So uh, there's a is there no correlation to pecan nuts then? No, no, it's that's P E C A N. But but a lot of people in Pekin were nuts, you know. So yeah. there could be some uh, similarity there. So when you was growing <laughs> up, when you was growing yeah. up, who? Well, I never did grow up, but you I mean as I was uh, when you was a young lad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who was it that entertained and inspired you? Yeah. Well, my favorites were uh, Jonathan Withers. Who just mm-hmm. passed away last week? Uh, w. C. Fields, 
I loved funny people. I loved funny guys. You know, Johnny Carson, who was the host of the Tonight Show, and yeah. any I just liked all any comedian, you know, stand-up comedian or comedic actors, because I was a uh, I was a um, what we call here a class clown mm-hmm. in school. You know, I, I like to joke. It's true, but I like to joke that um, uh, about all the teachers and 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 proctors and school officials and authority figures all throughout my life who said to me, Larry, I hope when you grow up you find a way to make a decent living with your funny voices and your little jokes. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever go back just to rub it in their face? Exactly. But most of them are probably dead now, so (laughs) I don't get that satisfaction. (laughs) Yeah, no. I I was a class clown always joking around and, I would watch the people that I've just mentioned to you, like Jonathan Winters, you know, at night on television. I would stay up late, and, and, and of course, my parents uh, didn't allow me to stay up and watch television. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I would peek through the key, the keyhole in my door and watch, uh, you know, The Tonight Show and their, uh, Jonathan Winters and people like that were on the show. And I would kind of uh, memorize their routines, you know, and I would I would do the whole routine the next day at school. And of course, the other the other children hadn't seen it, and so they thought I was making all of this up. <laughs> but I found early in life that if you, uh, I mean, you have to you have to walk a fine line in, in school of being, too, you know, being just being clever and 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 being too funny, being too rowdy, and, and yeah. not paying attention, you know. So. I, I guess I walked that line pretty well. But I found early on that um, if you can make uh, people laugh, especially girls, oh, well, <laughs> you know, they, love to, you know, they love a guy that will make them laugh. And you get invited to all the best parties, you know, because they want you to entertain. And, and uh, it worked well for me. So when you uh, like, obviously you're saying you're doing funny voices, when did that start turning into impressions? My parents tell me that I was doing – I would mimic people I saw on television, uh, whether it was you know a British actor or a German uh, you know uh, you know actor or whatever. They tell me that that soon after I began speaking English words, that I was I was. They didn't realize at the time, but looking back, they say you, they tell me you were you were mimicking, you were doing impressions of those people as as, as a you know a, a two year old. It was inbuilt in you. I guess so. I guess so. I tend to think it's because I have no other skills. <laughs> <laughs> Compensating. I, I, I don't know what else. I, frankly, well, I started so early in the business. I started to, in radio in, in Peoria Illinois, as, a, as a disc jockey when I was uh, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, even then, I incorporated the, the you know the, the impressions and the character and cartoony voices that I had, had made up into the into the music show, you know. And and I did that throughout uh, my moves from uh, the small town of Peoria, Illinois, to Fort Wayne, Indiana, a little larger town, and then to Cleveland, which was a major city, then on to Chicago, and then New York. And then when I when I first got to the, the larger cities, like, uh, well, the first one, the large one was Cleveland, I discovered that you can make... Uh, uh, at least as much, if not much more, money doing commercials than you can sitting for four hours playing records on the radio. So uh, I kind of left the radio and started doing uh, doing commercials, which I, I still do, you know. Yeah, no, 
And just to touch on radio again, how, yeah. how did you get such an opportunity at such a young age? It was it was very serendipitous. I I uh, as a sophomore in high school, tenth grade, um, as I recall, I there were two um, what we called here. Um, they, they were there were courses that you didn't have to take. You know, it wasn't English or or history or extracurricular. Geography. They were what, what is it? Uh, extra, uh, extra curriculum. Yes, and we called them electives. Uh, yes. And and my counselor gave me the choice of either taking uh, sociology or a radio class. Uh, we had we we didn't have a radio station at the high school, but but uh, we had a radio studio, a brand new radio studio. How that happened, I don't know. And uh, and we, and there was a radio class where you could you know learn how to how to you could prepare for a job in radio. Mm -hmm. So I took that class, and at the end of it, at the end of the semester, a gentleman from uh, the radio station in Peoria came to our class and said, we're looking for someone to do a one-hour show on Saturdays, you know. And uh, anyone who'd like to audition, you know, come to Peoria over the weekend, or, you know, over the weekend and audition. Well, at that time, even though I was only 15, it was, it was two weeks before my 16th birthday, so, but I was 15. Up until then, for the previous year, I had been a uh, a newspaper sports reporter. Mm -hmm. uh, I always was a kind of a go-getter. I, I worked from the time I was uh, able to. I mean, I mowed lawns, and I used to make potholders, you know? Yeah. You <laughs> was never them. afraid of hard graft. No, never was afraid of hard work. I, I enjoyed it, and, and I always wanted to make money, you know? And I saved my money pretty well. Anyway, long mm -hmm. story short, um, uh so I went up and auditioned for that job, and I got it. And then that led from from an uh, from an hour a week show. Uh, then they, after a few months, they gave me um, Saturday nights, you know, Sunday nights. Mm -hmm. And then that led to summer replacement when the main disc jockeys would uh, go on vacation. I'd fill in for them. And then finally, my own show. And um, it wasn't until years later that I looked back on it and I thought, Wow, how fortunate I was, because we're talking. 1963, you know, yeah. uh, that this began, and uh, I, after I got out of my home, you know, left my hometown and went on to bigger cities, I would tell people this story, people in, in the business, they'd say, wait a minute, you had a radio studio in your school in a small town in Illinois? And I said, yeah, I don't know how it became about, but I was very, very lucky, you know, right time, the right place. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, to be honest, with the amount of traveling that you've done, uh, like uh, when you was uh, doing disc jockeying, uh, mm -hmm. as a young man, you must have had some amazing experiences. Yes, most of them I can't tell you about, Wayne. I was going to say most probably quite <laughs> controversial. No, no, I, nothing like that. But I, I really have. It's been an incredible journey. I've been, this is my fiftieth year uh, in the. In the business, and um, it's gone by so fast. But looking back, uh, of course, I have scrapbooks and pictures, and some of which I put on Facebook of the people. Of, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to meet people in the well-known people, you know, in all walks of life, um, from the music business, uh, the music industry, to uh, uh, government and politics, and uh, uh, it's, it's just been incredible. And I, I really have had a good time. Excellent, and. Uh so after doing so many shows over so many stations, 
Um, had you already become fairly well known before moving on to IMUS in the morning? Yes, uh, pretty much. I uh, I uh, I was labeled by some of the industry, uh, the radio and television industry um, publications, like Billboard magazine, and uh, uh, this was before uh, Rolling Stone, but as a, a wunderkind, you know, once I got to Cleveland, I think, I was only, I think, 20, 21 years old, and I was doing the afternoon show. And that's still really young. At, at, at 21 years of age. I was doing the afternoon show, which is the second most important. Uh, it's called drive time, afternoon yeah. drive time. That's when people are going home from work. Uh, in the morning, of course, morning drive time is the, is the highest paid position. But I was, um, And um, in, in the eighth largest city in the country. So somebody picked up on that and you know wrote an article and then other other magazines and newspapers started running. There's this guy in Cleveland who's he's only 21 and my God he's you know he's he's doing what guys usually takes them 30 years to do. Like know? the prodigal child. Yes, the prodigal child. That's <laughs> the golden boy. That's what it was. And I was and I I was able to move up fairly quickly. I I left Peoria in 1968. So I was I was. Uh, you just flying through the ranks. Kind of. I was only a year and a half in um, in Fort Wayne, and then I went to uh, Cleveland, where I was for three years, and Chicago for a year, and then uh, New York. When I started in Peoria, after I had been there a year or so, uh, I knew I loved doing it. But I I looked around and myself and looked around at the other people there, you know, and I said to myself, I really like this, and I think I can go far. But I've seen a lot of people already who who. You know, we're, we're fascinated with the business and thought they would go to bigger cities, but it didn't happen, and they just held on to this, you know. And mm -hmm. God bless them. I mean, they were some of them were very happy there, but I knew I wanted more. So I, so I said to myself, if I don't get to a major city, you know, like a Cleveland or, you know, I think about Chicago or New York, that's, yeah. uh, that's too much wishful thinking. But I said, I, by the time I'm 30, it gives me, uh, you know, 10, 11 years. Then I'm going to do something else. I'm going to try something else because I I, I think I can do very well at uh, you know whatever I decide to do. And it happened when I was 21. So <laughs> so it uh, I didn't have to worry about that anymore. No, that's the thing. No contingency plan was needed. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and thank then... goodness because like I said, I I don't know what else I would have tried because I'm not really very good at anything else. I. Uh, I can't hammer a nail without breaking something, you know, or and I can't imagine myself working in an in office, you know, being sitting there for eight or eight hours a day with the same people. <laughs> but of course, I haven't had to, and, and I'm I'm jaded because and one of the great things about what I do is, uh, you know, I, I'll go to one place at 9:30, at one studio at 9:30 in the morning, let's say, mm -hmm. work for maybe half an hour or 40 minutes doing a commercial or something, and then I'll go across Manhattan and to another studio with a different group of people, and I'll have a couple hours off. So it's, you know, it's really wonderful. And there's no heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah you don't put your back out very often. <laughs> and I get to wear jeans and, you know, T-shirts, whatever I want. Yeah, well, that's uh, one of the uh, lovely things about the audio uh, medium. Now that I think about it, it's kind of like being a rock star, you know, except for the girls and the drugs and the whatever else they get. Oh, I'm sure there's a few groupies. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Not when you're 65 years old. Well, there are, but 
They're old ladies. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, so, so uh, you, when you was in New York, did you go straight to Imus in the morning? or? Well, here's the funny thing about the Imus thing. Uh, when I was in Cleveland, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, after I had been there about a year, this wild, crazy new disc jockey came out of California named Don Imus, and he came to Cleveland at a different radio station. And so I was doing an afternoon show at one station in Cleveland. He was doing a morning show at another station. He was only he was there a couple of years. I was there three years. I never met him in Cleveland. And I left there and went to uh, Chicago for a year, and then I went to New York. Mm-hmm. But when I went to Chicago, I got a call right away from uh, – the guy who had been my uh, board operator, my you know my engineer in yeah. Cleveland, and uh, he in the interim had moved back to New York where he's from, and got a job at uh, at NBC where Imus was working. Good mornings now. And one day, uh, Walt called. Walt Ryan was his name. He called me and he said, "Hey, I was talking with Imus this morning, and he asked me, did you ever work with Larry Kenny over at uh, WKYC in Cleveland?" And Walt said, "Yeah, I was his board operator." Well, again, I'll try to be brief. So, so the thing was that uh, Imus had uh, apparently had listened to me when when he was in Cleveland too, and and um, uh, admired the my show, the voice, especially the the impressions and the characters I was doing. So he said, uh, had Walt call me and say, you think you'd like to do some stuff with Imus? So for one year, uh, while I was on the radio, and while he was on the because in Chicago I was doing a morning show, mm-hmm. and of course Imus was in New York doing the morning show. So for a year, he would uh, he, we would get together on the phone during a newscast on top of the hour, and he would say, for example, um, uh, okay, why don't you do Richard Nixon today? Here's the premise, you know, you're mm-hmm. talking with Henry Kissinger, and we would I would ad lib a two or three minute routine that uh, he would tape and then play on, you know, in a few minutes on his show, and we did that for a year, never having the I even did his nightclub act with him. He didn't. He did nightclubs in New York, and he would call me <laughs> at home while he's on stage. They would say, somebody would walk on stage during his act and say, Mr. Imus, the president's calling, you know, and yeah. I would do that. Well, then I got the chance, I got an offer to come to New York and, and do a radio show at another radio station. And that's when, uh, when uh, I joined uh, his staff, too, uh, 1973. And I I uh, kept doing that for 35 years until uh, 2008. Wow, and yeah. that is oh. a, that's the thing. You must, that's the thing. It just it's that's a testament to how happy you must have been in that job. Oh, we had a great time, and we traveled. It was a radio show when I first joined him in '73, uh, and then in '86 we. Um, uh, They'd, be, he, he got an offer from uh, NBC to syndicate his mm-hmm. radio show. I mean, to put his radio show on television. In other words, we did the radio show as we always had, but they put cameras in the studio and broadcast it live on uh, MSNBC. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that changed everything because, well, when we were only on radio, I would get to NBC at about noon, and uh, just record my little three-minute bit for the next day and. I would be there maybe a half hour, you know. Mm-hmm. And we went to television. I had to leave my house at four o'clock in the morning, you know, like four thirty in the morning. Drive to Secaucus, New Jersey, which is about an hour away. That's where MSNBC was. 
get my makeup on, costume, or whatever character I was doing that day, and uh, do the show until 9 o'clock, and then take the makeup and costume off, head to Manhattan, and do the commercials and the, and the Thundercats and all that kind of stuff. So, But I was young then, you know, Wayne, I could I could do all mm-hmm. that stuff. Well, that's now, the thing. I, now I walk from one room to the other, take a nap, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> I... Uh, Different pace of life. So I chew a little bit, take a nap. <laughs> yeah, but it works for cats. So, it does. Yeah. So, so it's, it's obviously just that lingering element of Thundercats laying inside your subconscious there. You know, maybe that's it. They take a lot of naps, don't they? <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, And you even hosted your own uh, game show for a little bit. Uh, I did, yes. Uh, in New York, uh, I did a... Uh, a program that was on every night, uh, Monday through Friday, for a half hour called Bowling for Dollars, in which uh, it was done at Madison Square Garden. We had a bowling center there. And people would come on the show, and they would actually bowl, and uh, they would win prizes and money, you know, depending on how many, how well they bowled. And I did that for three years. I was the host of that show. That's fantastic. How, how was the transition from, like, radio to TV? I didn't. Uh, after that, I never did television again, because uh, I mean it was fun and everything. But I had become so accustomed to um, uh, once I had stopped doing my own radio show, where I had to sit there for four hours. I had become so accustomed over the years <clears throat> doing commercials and things like that to, as I said, going to one place for half an hour and then getting to go somewhere else. And when you do television, uh, especially. I, uh, the game show wasn't too bad, but we re- we taped five of them in one day, mm-hmm. and it got to be you know just waiting around and waiting around. And then I did a couple of films. I did some uh, uh, on-camera television commercials. I did a couple of soap operas, and uh, the waiting around. You would get there at seven in the morning for let's say for a soap opera. Mm-hmm. You arrive at the studio at seven in the morning and sit down and have a read through of the script, and then uh, and then. While the women were getting their hair done and their makeup put on and stuff, you'd just sit around and wait and wait and wait. And it went like that all day, you know. And I don't I don't like waiting around. So no. I told my agent, no more on-camera stuff. So then, uh, obviously, you, you concentrate more on your voiceover work. That's all I do now is the voiceover work, yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my business card says, we'll talk for food. <laughs> Larry Kenny will Larry Kenny vocal prostitute will talk for food. And that's the thing a lot of our American <laughs> listeners would uh, recognize you as uh, Sonny the Cuckoo Bird and Count Chocula. Yes, that's right. I've been I've been the voice of uh, of the two mascots uh, for the serials Count Chocula and uh, <clears throat> Cocoa Puffs for uh, well about 38 years or 39 years. That's a, that's another long stint. It just shows how happy the cus- the uh, companies are with uh, your work. Could be. I think it could also be, of course, that they just haven't bothered to find somebody else. But Too lazy. I, <laughs> it's yeah, lazy. it's mine. Let's talk about Thundercats. Yes, I've heard of that show. Yeah, I I think you might be vaguely familiar. Yes, I am. I am quite familiar with it. As a matter of fact, it's been a long time though. Then uh, was it almost thirty years? Actually, as a matter of fact, we started recording it in '83, so it's been thirty years since we began recording it. 
I know it finished airing in its original run in 89, but I'm assuming you recorded them quite far in advance. We did. We began in late 70, uh, late 83. I believe it was like October, late October. And it didn't begin airing until I think the spring of 85. So we'd been recording a, a little over a year before it went on the air because we had to... Um, we had to, um, you know, do 13 shows first. Uh, in the uh, television business, you um, you record the, the standard number of episodes is 13. Mm-hmm. You record 13 episodes and, and, and then try to sell it to a network. And then uh, if they buy it for 13, then if, um, if uh, the show does well for them and they want more, then they'll buy another 13 or they'll buy more than that. So... We had to record 13 and have those in the can uh, before we, before they could, uh, you know, sell it to somebody. And the first season of Thundercats actually had about 60 episodes. I don't recall. You say the first season? Yeah. It probably did. Yeah, that's the, the, the entire year. That, that's right. It probably did. Yeah. Uh, all in all, we had 130 of them. That that's uh, I, to be honest. Over here, they actually only aired the first season. Oh, the second season was never aired there, huh? No, because we had all of the first season, then it finished on Lionel's anointment trials. Really? And, and then, that's all... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, and then we had one director VHS release, which was Thundercats Ho, the five-parser, but they yeah. never showed the uh, remainder of, Thundercats. So it was. Oh, gee. It wasn't until I, much later on that I, like, until it actually came out on DVD that I imported it from America to see the I rest. Was, of I was them. not aware that they that they uh, that they never showed the all of them uh, on British TV. Well, at least you got to see them when the DVD came out, right? It was brand new Thundercats. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was probably great because. Uh, the quality is better. It's, it's you know, it, it's uh, it's on DVD, of course. It's better than the quality on your television set from, yeah. from broadcast channels. Sure, definitely. So, so I'm glad you got to see them all finally. I know it took long enough, but but I was to be honest, it was quite painless because I was oblivious to their existence until the internet came about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I'm sure that's true with a lot of people, especially people in the United Kingdom. And other places in the world, you know, it uh, it ran nearly uh, nearly everywhere. I, re- I remember about ten years after we started, after it was popular here, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had heard that it was airing in other, you know, in other countries, and I once got a check from Sri Lanka <laughs> for like four dollars because they ran one episode. <laughs> <or something like that. laughs> they didn't quite get it. <laughs> no. Thundercats came out at a time where like He-Man was reigning supreme. Mm-hmm. Was Rankin and Bass trying to recreate the success of Masters of the Universe? Was that quite an influential thing when they were trying to put together the show? I'm sure it was part of it. Um, I don't really know. You know, we never discussed with the Rankin Bass people what we. When I say we, I mean the actors. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, we were just glad that they were finally doing a cartoon series in New York. Because up until that point, uh, almost all animated uh, series and specials were done uh, either in uh, L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Florida at Disney World. 
and um, uh, the Disney Studios, you know, and Warner Brothers, of course, in California and all of that. Nobody had done any, any, uh, as far as we knew, any animation in New York for ever. Mm-hmm. So um, we were pretty excited about that. And I, I have to say, the team that they got for the animation there, one thing that they had over Filmation was that they were so much better at the animation. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, Rankin Bass did a, a great job with it. Uh, it was a Japanese company that did the animation. So that's curious. why we—that's we, why when you watch uh, the original Thundercats, and probably the same today, mm-hmm. at, the, at the end, the credits, you'll see, you know, actors Larry Kenny, Peter Newman, Ned Lipton, and so and so and so, animators. Unpronounceable. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, all Japanese names. So, uh, just out of curiosity, did you ever get to meet John Irwin, who voiced He-Man? No, I never did. I, uh, if he's still around, I'll probably see him eventually. I do a lot of Comic-Cons now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing, been doing more and more of those over the last few years, and uh, getting to meet so many people from, you know, I mean, I'm meeting people that I watched when I was very young, you know, mm-hmm. from, from TV series and, and from uh, animated series. Uh, and uh, I've, I've had a chance to meet Stan Lee. I don't know if you're familiar with Stan Lee. Yes, big fan. years old, and he's still out there doing the Comic-Con circuit. <laughs> yeah. So, and, of course, I get to meet uh, lots of voiceover people and uh, and actors. It's, been, it's, it's a lot of fun to go to them. They uh amazing fun, amazing fun. Now, was you approached for the job, or did you uh, audition? Yeah, you auditioned. Uh, for the original one, yeah. It's like everything else that uh, I do in my business, almost everything. Yeah. Sometimes you get a, your agent will get a call from somebody that says, we want Larry Kenny. But most of the time, it's uh, uh, you, you go audition for it. I didn't audition for the for the new Thundercats series because they knew they wanted to use me for that. But yeah. uh, I did audition for uh, Rankin Bass. So when you were auditioning, did they have any preliminary uh, pictures of the characters? Oh, sure. Yeah, the walls were lined with pictures of all the characters. Uh, when you arrive, actually, before a week or so before they they send us all, uh, send each of us a packet of of uh, synopsis of the, the series, you know, and and uh, 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 description of the of the characters, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we got to, when I got there, they they uh, said, uh, "Have you decided which characters you'd like to read for?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd like to read for Lionel and Jackal Man, and I forget who else I read for." That's how they did it. And, uh, and then you go home, and then uh, either you never hear from them, or your agent never calls you about that job again, or, or in my case, thankfully, uh, a few days later they call and say uh, you got the job. So, what, was there any sort of like from looking at the visuals? Was there any sort of process in your mind of trying to think? Well, Lino looks like he should sound this way, or yes. Well, they uh, they told us first of all the uh, the Thundercats themselves, Lino. Uh, <clears throat> Panthero, Chitara, and <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> and Tigra. Uh, we're not. They told us they're not. This, they, they, they need to sound human. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even though they're half cat or whatever. They, they don't know, want them don't want, purring. They didn't want any quote cartoon voice for those. Yeah. For the mutants, you know, Mumra, and, and I also read for Jackal Man. Uh, so so anyway, uh, so when I was deciding how I, I, I'm going to make uh, Lionel sound. It's it's actually just my voice, obviously, uh, uh, as you can hear, although mm-hmm. I'm a little raspy right now. Pardon me. 
<clears throat> I've been yelling all day for a, a show we have over here called Best Week Ever. It's on the VH1. Oh, cool. And uh, it's I, I have to scream. I say, it's the third week of April, 2013, <laughs> the best week ever. And I did that for two hours today. So I'm really excited. It's the same voice I use on the commercial we have here for, uh, or lots of commercials for 12 years, mm-hmm. for candy called Skittles. Do you have that over there? Yes, we do. I wonder if they use my commercials. Taste the I'm rainbow. At the end. I'm sorry? Taste the rainbow. Feel the rainbow. Taste the rainbow. Yeah, yeah that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great job because when I, whenever I go in, it's just six words that I have to say. Actually, uh, uh, there's only one there's only one new word each time because it's always something the rainbow, taste the rainbow. So I told them one day, uh, I said, why don't you just book me for an entire day and book a studio and we'll record every verb in the English language, and uh, we won't have to. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't like that idea. That's it. Cut and paste job. That'll be fine. Why not? That's what I'm thinking. You know. I mean, we rate the rainbow. Taste the rainbow. Fornicate <laughs> <laughs> the rainbow. Oh no, we can't use that. So, for all of uh, the voice actors that were uh, participating in Thundercats, at the time, was it just another job? Well, sure, at the, at the very beginning, because um, we got, you know, we, we start recording it, and um, it, it, you know, it's it's a job. Um, but um, once we began, we, you know, got into it, several episodes into it and everything, um, you know, I remember chatting with people during breaks and things and saying, this, you know, this really is a, this is good material, this is it's well written, and uh, this could this could go somewhere, you know. And then, of course, we soon found out that it was it was becoming a, a big hit, and uh, we were all excited. But yes, of course, initially it, it's it's another job, you know. But in our business, uh, another job is is big because in our business, and when I say our business, I mean the acting the acting profession. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you're doing animated shows, or <clears throat> pardon me, or you're um, uh, you know doing a live television show or film or a movie or whatever. Um, Sometimes jobs are uh, few and far between. I mean, you know, for actors, as I guess everybody realizes, you're yeah. not working every day at the same job, you know. And and sometimes uh, you go for a stretch of either weeks or I guess sometimes months uh, if you when you're first starting out. So my point is that yeah, at first it was just a job, but we were all happy to get the job, you know, because we knew if it if it worked, if it if it became successful, it would be a regular job. And, as I think I told you, we ended up working on Thundercats for like three years. And it ended up, uh, it, so quite early on, you guys started to click that you might actually have something special. Right. We recognized the quality of the, of the writing. And then once we once they started showing us some of the animation that had been completed, we recognized that for the time it was it was very well done, you know. Mm-hmm. The music was a fantastic music, so... Yeah, you, you you know, once you've been in the business long enough and you've either uh, done some of these shows or you've auditioned for enough of these shows and watched them on TV, you can you can spot quality. You know, you can spot, uh, as an actor, you can tell by the scripts and by the people you're working with and for that's a good gig, you know, and we knew early on this was a good gig. So after recording 130 episodes, how close did the team get? Oh, we became like a family. We... Um, we be, we were having Christmas parties, you know, during that time, and and we also um, 
Uh, we were all on Thundercats, and then most of us went on to do Silverhawks, which we did about 65 episodes of that. And then we did a show called Tiger Sharks, which didn't last that long. It was only about, I think, 30, 25, or 30 episodes. And then um, we did uh, three or four uh, animated holiday specials for Rankin Bass, some of which still run uh, at Christmas time uh, today. Uh, one's called The Star for Jeremy. One is called The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, which uh, we were all delighted to work with Sir Alfred Drake on that one. Wow. He played, I think, Santa Claus and, and a couple more. So yeah. we for four or five years, we were working together on, on Rankin Bass things. And then Bob McFadden and I uh, had been working together for years at that time. Uh, he and I both do um, serial commercials here in the United States, mm-hmm. French serial commercials. Uh, I've been the voice of one called Count Chocula for 35, 37 years, and one called Coco Puffs. I'm the mascot for that, the uh, the voice of the Sonny the Cuckoo Bird, who sounds like this. Up here, I will go cuckoo for Coco Puffs. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we all work together. And, and again, in, in our business, in the voice acting business, um, you don't often get a chance to work with the same group of actors uh, mm-hmm. For long periods of time, you know, you're doing 60 second commercials, and then maybe I'll see you in a couple of years on another job, you know. But we were together weekly for uh, four years or more. That's and uh, on in that sort of time, you you do grow really close to people as well. And either you, either you grow close, or you <laughs> you end up or meeting you each other. Assessing each other, yeah. So, um, but the, this group we had was just, just the greatest group of people, great actors, and. And we all had the same sense of humor, and uh, that's why the outtakes came about. <laughs> and, uh, we got along so well, and we still do, those of us who are knock-knock still around. Yeah. No, and I was uh, you did touch on something that I was going to speak about later, but it seems you spoke about it. Um, at the same time that you was, uh, like around the same time that you was doing Thundercats, you actually done uh, a show called Silverhawks. I don't think that actually aired over here. What was it about? Uh, Silverhawks was a, a, a group of um, uh, they were they were in space. It was a futuristic uh, thing. They were fighting evil in outer space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the name Silverhawks came because they flew. You know, like my character flew a jet fighter, and the other ones flew other things. But they were they were, um, as I recall, uh, uh, totally human. Whereas Thundercats were half animal, half human. Okay. And then tiger sharks, uh, they were half fish. <laughs> so they were really going for the half-breed sort of uh, feel. Because... Exactly. Well, to give you an idea, my character in that show was Dolph. Now, you guess which fish you are. <laughs> I, I'm guessing it wasn't a seal. No, it was actually a walrus. <laughs> That's not a fish, is it? It was uh, uh, a dolphin, of course, yeah. Which but isn't that, a fish uh, either. <laughs> Well, no, most of them aren't fish, they're uh, mammals, but, um, you know, the same idea, they were half, uh, let's say, underwater creatures. Yeah. And what do you think it was, like, between them three shows that made Thundercats the one that lasted? Well, uh, gosh, I've never been asked that, and that's a good question. Um, It just, everything came together, I guess, you know, the... the, uh, First of all, the idea, the, the idea of the characters, I guess, uh, sparked everybody's imaginations. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, to this day, uh, 
I even when the when the we did the new series, the new Thundercats series, I I was excited about watching that. There's just something about the characters in that, you know, the half man, half uh, you know, tiger and half half a lion and things like that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It was just done so well. And interestingly, the same people, basically the same voice cast. I think it was the same uh, writers, pretty much, and the same animators mm-hmm. on the other two series. But uh, Thundercats just clicked. It, it something something about it just grabbed the grabbed the imagination of the audience. Well, for me personally, it had like a great mix between like cool technology, mythology, magic. Uh, exactly. But, uh, yeah. But then also it had some great stories that yeah. always like conveyed a strong like moral lesson. Exactly. Uh, yeah, like I said, all the elements just kind of came together. You're right. It had the, it did have all those elements. Whereas I'm thinking back now, the other shows didn't really. I think that probably Silverhawks, although it was a good show, and, I, and as I said, we did 65 episodes of that, mm-hmm. and, and it ran uh, on, you know, on. Uh, network television here and they made DVDs of that too but um, I think the fact that it was set in space it kind of limited its its chance for for uh, uh, varying plots and, and locations and things like that you know? yeah so I, I don't really know I'm, I'm just an actor I just read what they tell me but also some, <laughs> sometimes lightning doesn't always strike twice that's true yeah but with Thundercats, unlike He-Man, uh, like where He-Man always had a moment at the end of the show, where like he would like face the audience and speak directly to them to like push the moral of that story uh, directly at the audience. Thundercats done it a lot more subtly, where at the, at the end of the show there would always be a scene like after the episode's events where they would all just uh, like relax. And discuss what had happened. Exactly, they would they would talk about the moral as conversation. Yes, exactly. which I, yeah. I think was much more effective at conveying the moral lesson. Yeah, as opposed to looking at the audience and saying, "Now remember," right? We did. Although someone reminded me recently by posting it on my Facebook page that uh, I did a uh, public service announcement as Lionel, and it's. It's so cheesy when you look at it because you know it goes back to the 80s and it's a Lionel and I think Chitara. It's a it's a, um, it's a don't drink, you know. It, it's Lionel looking at the looking at the audience and saying, "This is Lionel. Alcohol is for adults only. So kids, don't use alcohol." <laughs> you know, it's like it's like the Nancy Reagan just saying no thing. You know. Yeah. So, but that was not a, a part of the show. That was you know probably played. Uh, during the commercial break during the show or something like that. I'm going to have to try and find that on YouTube. Um, yeah, I, I know it's on there because someone posted it on my Facebook page and then I went to YouTube and, and looked at it. So. Wow, I'll go out to probably, check that out. Probably under Lion-O PSA, Public Service Announcement, or Lion-O Don't Drink or something like that. Yeah, more than <laughs> likely. About, it's about 20 seconds long, I think, or 30 Yes, but that's Thundercats I haven't seen. There you go. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It'll so, be new to you. Exactly. It, another great way that the show conveyed uh, morals was through Jaga. Yeah. Because... Jaga the Wise. Yes. And 
I always found it, it those moments where Jugger was directly speaking to Lionel was also another just like, amazing way of getting across the moral. I'm I'm going to be totally geeky now because there's one instance right. that, that always comes to mind in um, the, uh, the really early on the second episode where Lionel's about to go and hunt a deer. Mm-hmm. and the sort of omens flies out of his hand and digs into the ground, and he's trying to put it out, and he can't, and then um, suddenly Jugger just appears. Right. And uh, he, I'm going to do an awful Jugger impression now. <laughs> but he's like, the sword will not obey you, Lionel. Remember Lionel. <laughs> yeah, he's like, the sword will never obey an order to destroy warrantly. And it's like, them sorts of things where... Yeah, it was doing it in a way that just spoke to the back of your mind. Exactly. Now that you mention it, I remember that uh, it was something about, like you said, remember, remember, Lionel, uh, the sword of omen will never uh, obey a command to, you know, to, to do something to yeah. kill wantonly or something like that. Yeah. And it also reminds me that when they released the uh, the DVD set. Uh, Wonder Brothers released a DVD set of, of mm-hmm. Thundercats uh, a couple, couple or three years ago. Here, of course, um, Earl Hammond, who who, who portrayed uh, uh, Jaga and Mumra, mm-hmm. uh, he had passed away. So they asked me if I would do Jaga on the DVD in an interactive. Uh, there's an interactive game or something on there. I forget what it is now. Yeah. Uh, so I said, well, I tell you what. Um, let me practice it, and if I feel that I can do it justice and and do justice to Earl's memory, I will do it. But if I if I if I you know try it, at, you know at my at my house and my microphone and everything, and I don't feel that I've got the you know the impression if you want to call it that mm-hmm. uh, down, then I'm not going to do it. So it turns out that I was able to, and uh, and I was happy to do it. And that's uh, that's amazing because Jugger is such a distinctive voice. Yeah. Yes, it is. Very wise and very gentle and very caring. But don't mess with me. I know. That's the thing. He was a badass as well, though. He was in his early early years. Yeah, he could be. Uh, he could be a badass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even when um, Grun the Destroyer comes back and he. Has a big battle there. Right. <laughs> I know these are probably storylines that have long left your memory by now. Oh, of course they have. Sure, I listen <laughs> when I'm when I'm at comic cons and, and or on the street and people come up to me and want to talk about the show. And there's always you know someone <laughs> who says, uh, "Mr. Kenny, in episode 127, when Lionel and I stop him right there and I say, you know what, you know more about the show than I do. Believe me. So I probably can't answer your question. I'll try, <laughs> but." I probably can't, you know. It's, it's true of other shows, though. Like when you're actually speaking some, like when I've done interviews with Star Trek uh, actors, there are certain oh, questions sure. that you're much better off asking the writers. <laughs> sure, of course. Especially if the question has to do with what was the motive of the character to do that, or you know, or something. Yeah. So, so that, that's a good that's a good idea. From now on, I'll say talk to the writers. <laughs> so. With uh, with your the hazy memory of Thundercats, is there any particular moments or episodes that you still remember that were personal favorites? 
You know, I've asked that so many times. I, I, there really aren't, Wayne, any particular moments. And I think the reason for that is, as I said uh, earlier, uh, re- producing the show, recording the show with all those great people was so wonderful in itself. We had mm-hmm. so much fun every time we got together. Every time we recorded an episode, we had so much fun. And we all really put everything into the show because we we knew what it was about. We knew what it meant to people, you know. Mm-hmm. And but I, I don't really remember the only... Um, I don't remember one moment, but the, the, whatever Earl Hammond would do, Mumra, mm-hmm. and we didn't discuss this earlier, did we? No. Earl Hammond, I don't know if any of you folks have seen a picture of him, but when he was, when he was doing his lines as Mumra, he looked like Mumra. And, and I've always wanted to ask somebody from Rankin Bass, and I haven't had a chance to, did you guys draw Mumra after watching Earl recorded? Well, of course they couldn't have. They had him drawn first. But... But he would stand there at the microphone, and you know when Mumra says he begins that building up to ancient spirits of evil transform, and he gets he gets more and more into it. And if you recall watching Mumra, he would drool, right? They would stuff him out of his mouth. Yeah. Well, Earl Earl did that as he was recording. <laughs> he would begin spitting and drooling, and he would he would wipe it away as he's talking. <laughs> what? And, and it got to the point, it was such a joke with the rest of us that, for example, I would I would turn to Peter Newman or someone, I'd say, uh, next page, I looked ahead, next page, uh, Earl's going to do Mumra. So we'd all start backing away from him. And by the time he got to Mumra, we'd all be in a corner with plastic sheets over <laughs> Because we're covering their notes. He would spew this spittle and... <laughs> But it was, it was. I guess every actor has his own method, you know, and that was Earl's. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if you go back, if the early episodes he didn't have the spittle, but then later on they incorporated it in. Are you, oh, you're not saying that you know for a fact that he didn't no. have Earl's spittle? No, it it'll, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see. If they if they drew it after Earl, I don't think so, but that would be funny. So, so out of curiosity, <laughs> when you was making the show, what actually comes first, the animation or the voice acting? The voice comes first because it would be almost impossible, not impossible, but extremely difficult for actors to be looking at their script and, and emoting and having to look up at the screen. Mm-hmm. To, to match, to match the, the, the lip movement perfectly would be almost impossible. So you do the, the very first thing that's done, well, of course, is the writing, mm-hmm. but then, uh, then you record the actors. Mm-hmm. And once that's all edited, it's sent to the animators. And then they begin animating, and then they have to, it's their job to match up their uh, animation to the voice. That's the, they've got the tough job. <laughs> yeah, they've got the tough job. All we have to do is talk. That's right. Of course, these days it's probably much easier with computers. You know, I mean, you have to remember that back in the 80s, we didn't have computers. There was no computer, no CGI. No. Everything was hand-drawn on cells. I wish I had kept some of those cells, I'll tell you. They're probably very valuable now because they don't make them anymore. No, I would have thought they were a, a fair bit, definitely. Yeah. So, other than Mumra, obviously you're not allowed to say Jackal Man. <laughs> Who was your favorite villain? My favorite villain? Yeah. Well, it has to be Mumra. I mean, one of the greatest villains of all time, you know? Yeah. 
So, uh, Jack O'Man I like because I did Jack O'Man and um, I remember uh, when we began doing the show and even before we started recording of course when I was deciding how to uh, how I wanted to make the voice mm-hmm. uh, my inspiration well I was thinking okay he's a jackal a jackal is I don't know if they really are but are at least my uh, what I had in my head about jackals is that they're they're uh, Fly and and cunning, you know. They they kind of like a wolf, you know. They kind of sneak around and sneak up on people. And yeah. so, I wanted something that sounded kind of, you know, cunning and sly and evil. And it came into my head uh, from an old uh, cartoon show that I loved when I was a kid called Rocky and Bullwinkle. Mm-hmm. Did you get that in the UK? Uh, we did, though. It, it, I bypassed that one. It was a little bit before me. Okay. Well, there was a character called Snidely Whiplash, and he was the villain uh, in the in the mode of uh, the old uh, with a with a top hat and the cape, you know, and, mm-hmm. the, and the big mustache. And um, he'd say, uh, "I'm going to tie you to the railroad track now," you know, and. Yeah, he was he was greasy sounding, so I thought of him, and that's kind of the voice I gave to Jackalman. We must get the Thundercats, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you just can you just say Monkeyan in uh, Jackalman's voice? Monkeyan, come over here. <laughs> what is it? Drop it. That was Peter Newman. It was Monkeyan, <laughs> and he had the greatest. <laughs> It was fantastic. It was, yeah. it really was. Uh, so, do, do you still get uh, residuals from the DVD no, releases? No, no. no. We uh, actually our deal was, um, as I recall, again it's been so long ago. We got paid a hefty uh, amount to to do the show, and I think at least I signed a contract that, that called for a certain amount. Uh, you know, up front, or as we recorded it, mm-hmm. and uh, the only residuals I got, I think, were from from anything uh, non-domestic overseas. Mm-hmm. That's why I mentioned that one check from <laughs> Sri Lanka. Um, now wait a minute. You know what? Thinking back, I'm wrong. I apologize. I apologize. Yes, we did get residuals. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back now. I remember uh, checks coming in, uh, you know, frequently for. Uh, after it had been on the first the first time after mm-hmm. its first run, then when it went into reruns, I think it went over to another network, Cartoon Network or something. Yeah, and then we we got residuals. Yeah. So, how was it to revisit Lionel for the skit you done on Family Guy? Well, it was fun, except that uh, I had hoped when I when I accepted that, uh, that gig. Mm-hmm. That I would get to meet Seth MacFarlane and some of the other actors, but uh, things are a lot different today in the business. Uh, I ended up uh, in a studio in New York by myself uh-huh. uh, uh, with uh, Seth and uh, the engineer in L.A. Uh, in my headphones, <laughs> so I didn't get to meet uh, the genius, Mr. MacFarlane. I consider him a genius. So it's bittersweet. Yeah, well, I shouldn't say that because I'm just so happy to have done it, and I I almost didn't do it. I turned it down at first, 
mm-hmm. because my agent, I had seen a little bit of Family Guy on, on TV, yeah. you know, and I thought it was funny as heck, a very, very funny show. But when my agent called and said uh, he'd like you to, they'd like you to, you know, do a Lionel thing on Family Guy, I said, no, I, I don't want to do that. It's a great show. But um, as I think I told you earlier, uh, I'm very protective of the legacy of Thundercat and of mm-hmm. Lionel and all of that. And while I think Family Guy is great for today, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty pretty risque. You know, it's like a lot of the shows. They're, I mean, if you think about what we were doing back in the 80s, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there was nothing like that back then. You know, mm-hmm. let's, I'll just say it. It's dirty. You know, it's a lot of profane things. That's the thing. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a prude. I think they're. I watch them all the time. I think they're funny. But I didn't want Lionel to be involved in that. I was afraid that Thundercats fans who would see that would be upset. Mm-hmm. So then my son, who at the time was probably 19 or so, he said, "Dad, you got to do it. It's 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 one of the biggest shows. Uh, big actors are are asking to be on it. You know, like The Simpsons." I said, well, okay, have them send me the script. Well, they sent me the script. I read that, and I said, absolutely not. <laughs> because you've seen the episode, right? Yes, I have. So then my son again said, you know, Dad, you got to remember that uh, the Thundercats fans are not kids anymore. You know, you're not talking about 10-year-old kids. You're talking about adults in their 30s, and they're going to love it. And I said, I hadn't thought of it that way. You know, I guess, I guess in the back of my mind was, like he said, that, that Thundercats fans were 10 years old and shouldn't see that stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. You've got the, the, the fans that are growing up, because I, I've got two young daughters, and I know as soon as they hit an age, they are being raised on Thundercats. Oh, great. <laughs> but, when the, but you're right, the initial fan base has grown up with it, and I personally thought it was hysterical. I did too. Well, I, I went ahead and did it and then kept my fingers crossed and waited for emails saying, how could you, you know, or, you know, you've, you've let us down and nothing of the sort ever came. Not one bad email. Everybody was just saying, well, how great to have you on, have Lionel and Family Guy and everything. So I breathed a sigh of relief. What was funny was just because beforehand uh, Lionel was talking about, uh, like trying to figure out what Mumra was up to. <laughs> yeah. And then you just assume he's looking through the sword to find out what they're up to. Exactly. But no, he's watching. Exactly. He's watching Chisara. I'm sure. I'm sure for those people listening to this who don't know what we're talking about, I'm sure it's on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it. I'll put a link in the show notes. It was in Dewey uh, Griffin: The Untold Story. That was yeah. the name of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, that is the one. So see, I haven't forgotten everything. No, you've held on to a lot. Uh, to be honest, with, with the amount that you've uh, done in your career, uh, Thank my, you, Carl. my my memory is awful. I would not remember half of it. <laughs> oh, you certainly you certainly remember a lot about Thundercats. Yeah, well, that, now, that's, I, I get told off from my wife for being so forgetful, and I just said, well, "Yeah, sure," because you but, forget your anniversary and her birthday and Christmas. Uh, that's why she. <laughs> I know that. Well, that's the thing. I I just say, but. Uh, honey, you've got to understand, my brain pushes out all of the useless information <laughs> and just retains things that it needs. The important things, like yeah. Thundercats. you got the right priorities. Exactly. So how was it 
you when you heard that Thundercats was coming back? It was being re-envisioned in 2011. Oh, it was really exciting. I, uh, when my agent called again and said they're doing a new, Warner Brothers is doing a new Thundercats series and they want you to be involved. Uh, again, my first response was, let me see a script. I think it's, gonna be, it's a great, you know, it's great that somebody's redoing it. But I said, I want to know, you know, what kind of a, what kind of attack they're going to make on this. Uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that it was going to be true to the original series mm -hmm. in, in, in terms of the moral message, you know, and, and things like that. So they sent me a script, and then I talked with uh, Dan Norton, who was the head writer, and uh, I was immediately, I could tell immediately that it was going to be great because uh, I could tell that Dan was a, just like you, he was a huge fan of Thundercats as a kid, and he, he let me know that the whole staff who was working on it uh, was, uh, they were all, one second, I'm sorry, am I still with you there? I, yeah. I'm afraid I pushed the, the wrong button. <laughs> no worries. So anyway, it turned out that, that the, the series was indeed uh, true to the Code of Thundera and, and uh, to, the, to the heart of the original Thundercats series. I was excited to be a part of it, I, and I think I was I was happy for the fans too because I think them asking me to play Lionel's father was an homage not to me but but to the original series and to the fans. Yeah, you know because it showed that they were it, it was uh, it, it was a sign that that they were aware of the original series and keeping it in mind. Mm -hmm. and I remember when when uh, we were in San Diego at the at the Comic-Con, the huge one with 350,000 people from all yeah. over the world. And we played, um, we had one of those, um, I forget what they call them now, but we're, an, they go into the auditorium and the audience is there and it was a panel. Q&A like panel. Q&A panel and uh, Dan and Norton and some of the other Warner Brothers people and, and I were there. Mm -hmm. And before we came out, they played for the first time the, the full first episode and we were backstage so we could just oh, we could hear it playing and we could hear the response and I had I had gone to get a cup of coffee or something and when I came back and again we we're backstage as I came back into that area I heard a huge roar from the audience cheering and clapping that went on and Dan came over and he said he said did you hear what they cheered at and I said no he said you had just said as Claudius you had just done the Thunder, 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 thundercats! Ho! And the audience went crazy. Oh. So that's when we knew that the audience was accepting it as you know an homage to to the original series. Definitely, it it, it brought tingles, <laughs> goosebumps. Yeah, it, it sure did. It did to me. It did to me too. And then I think that was near the end of the uh, episode. And then when we walked out, and someone had handed me a a, a, a foam rubber sort of omen that the Comic Con was giving out, and uh, when I walked out on the stage holding that aloft, they went crazy again. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it was a big thrill. It really was. It was. It, I almost teared up. It's really sad that the the new Thundercats only ran the one season. I know. I know. I thought it was a wonderful series. I thought they did a great job with it, and uh, it's too bad they have finally announced that it's canceled. Do you, uh, do you know any of the behind-the-scenes politics with regards to I can tell to you one thing. I can tell you one thing that I heard from uh, a source that I won't name. Mm -hmm. 
that uh, it wasn't because of low ratings. The ratings were pretty good on TV. It was because of uh, lagging toy sales, <sighs> which is kind of the way of the world today, I think, in this business, that uh, if people don't buy enough action figures, then they take the show off. Now, that's just something that I heard from one person uh, who is, you know, in in on what goes on over there. Yeah. And uh, it may not be the official word, but that's that's what I heard. So. To be honest, that wouldn't surprise me because if you look at all of the uh, the TV shows that keep constantly running, uh, like over the decades, it's always been the Transformers. It's always mm-hmm. been like the the ones where the action figures are constantly selling. But right, right. The, and to be honest, you never know that the actual toy line might not have been doing as well reflective compared to the new show because probably a lot of the viewers of the new show was the same viewers from the 80s. That's true. That, that, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but I'm sure that most of them were. I'm sure that the, initially, you know, uh, that would be the that would be the audiences uh, because the young people don't know Thundercats, and so why are they going to turn in a, a, a tune into a show that, uh, you know what I'm saying? So I think you've got a point there. I think also uh, the same person who, gave me the information about the toy sales and things. He went on a bit more length, and he was telling me how uh, that's, he said that's a problem when sometimes when you create a show, whether it's an animated show or a sitcom or anything else, but especially with an animated show, we have toys involved, that you can create a, you can create the best show in the world, but then it's out of your hands. It goes to the distributors of, mm-hmm. the, of, the, of the show itself, goes to the network. And the toy sales are totally somebody else's. The Warner Brothers has nothing to do with the toys. They sell, they contract that too. This time it was Hasbro. And then you have distribution, you know, uh, uh, that can be followed up or not done very well. So, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, the lagging toy sales does not necessarily mean that the show wasn't very good. So. No, but that's you know that's that end of the business, and I, and I don't. I, I don't Unfortunately, there's nothing that you nor the writers nor the fans really can do to affect no no I, I know that there there are many websites uh Thundercats fans websites and some of them even even, <clears throat> even uh, titled such things as save the new Thundercats and bring back Thundercats and things and you know so many fans worked very hard for it but that even that doesn't really help you know in a situation like this but I appreciate their trying so the guys that put in the effort to make the show, it, it must be nice to see that the fans also sure. well, appreciate it. Sure, I'm, sure I'm sure they were ingratiated by that. One thing that I did want to touch on as well is you're still working to the bone. It's I only just found out that you've done a voiceover in Grand Theft Auto 4. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> uh, oh, yes, yes. You was one of the radio presenters on... I'm one of the yeah, I'm one of the uh, disc jockeys, I guess. Or yeah. I, I've I've never heard it. I've done uh, two or three uh, uh, video games, Grand Theft Auto Four, and um, I did uh, Mafia Two, mm-hmm. and one called uh, Alan Wake, uh, the American Nightmare, I think. Uh, but the, the the thing is, I I never heard except at the studio when they played some of it back. I never heard it because, <laughs> well, for example, my son was playing. Uh, 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 Grand Theft Auto 4 one day, and I said, "Go to the part where, uh, where you know, where I'm on it." He said, "You can't do that because you have to play the game and get that." Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's, it's not that just, simple. You can't just click to any part you want and listen to it. But uh, I have heard on uh, uh, 
somebody posted on my Facebook page the link to uh, my part on uh, Alan Wake. Yeah. Again, I'm a, I'm a radio guy. I'm a, I'm a exactly. talk show host. Yeah. Exactly. So those, those no, are kind of fun to do. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Those are those are fun to do too, but um, it's much more fun to do an animated series where you're playing, you know, wild characters and yeah, and fantasy, you know. Definitely. Now, uh, I was uh, uh, not really surprised to see, but your eldest daughter has actually followed in your footsteps. Oh, she's gone beyond my. She surpassed my footsteps. She's a she's a film actress, a film movie star over here. <laughs> As uh, you. Was there, when she was starting out, mm-hmm. how did that make you feel to see that she was going into the same profession as you? Was there any sort of trepidation? Uh, let me tell you this. <clears throat> when she was about 12 years old, she asked me if she could start, you know, auditioning for commercials and, and theater and films. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, I don't think it's a good idea, but... I want you to talk with my agent, Don Buckwell, because we were family friends too. We'd we had been to his home for you know, uh, and you know, visiting his family. So we were family friends, and I knew she trusted Don, and you know, and I didn't I didn't prep him. I didn't go to him and say, Don, uh, you know, try to, you know, to tell her she shouldn't do this. So she went and met with him in his office. I sat outside, and it turns out that what he told her was, you have plenty of time to be an actress. He said, I work with uh, people all the time who, you know, who were actors when they were children, and they now wish they, they hadn't started so early because they didn't have a childhood, you know. If you yeah. become successful at all as a child actor, generally you don't have much of a childhood. You don't go to school with other kids, you know, you have a tutor, uh, you're off shooting a film, you don't go to birthday parties. He said to her, be a kid. If you want to, do, if you want to be an actor, do, do plays at school. You know, yeah. and that's what she did. She did plays at school at NYU. She was in the theater. She she was in the theater department there, and then once she graduated college, she began in television and has done extremely well. And uh, her husband is a very successful successful uh, cinematographer on television. He, he's uh, in charge of shooting two of the biggest TV shows over here, Two and a Half Men and uh, The Big Bang Theory. And they live in Malibu, California, and uh, they're very successful. He just won his third Emmy. So I'm very proud of her, as I am all my children. Definitely. And I was going to say, you oh, must oh, I'm be... Sorry. I'm sorry, Wayne, but she she now uh, has told me a number of times over the years how glad she is that she listened to, that she didn't get into business when she was younger. She's so happy she didn't do that. Well, that's the thing. A lot of child actors uh, come out damaged, Yeah. unfortunately. So. You know, not all of them. Some of them are, you know, but... Um, it's it's better just to be a, have your childhood, you know, be a kid, and then yeah. do what you want to do later. I mean, nobody starts being an accountant when they're 12 years old, you know, or no. or an insurance salesman or a lawyer, you know. So be a kid first and do whatever you want. That's the advice I would give to anybody. Definitely. And finally, what the fuck is a samouflage? <laughs> you know, there is actually it actually is a real thing. Uh, somebody looked it up and uh, and told me. I, I take their word for it. And it sounds like it might be. It's some kind of a, a part for an engine, uh, a semi-flange. Yeah. One but of my favorite outtakes. We didn't, we didn't know that when we were filming. When, that's why that outtake. When uh, I think it's Panther saying, "I'm going to have to replace the semi-flange." You can hear me saying, "What the fuck is a semi-flange?" And do you know that all these years later, 
30, about 30 years later, there's yeah. one cab driver in Manhattan, in New York City, that spots me maybe every once every five it might be five years or seven years in between times but if, you, if it's summertime or spring he'll roll his window down as he's driving by and yell what the fuck is avalanche <laughs> and i've never <laughs> met him i don't even know what he looks like but i know it's the same cab driver brilliant larry uh before you go may i ask you to do one favor i know what it is but certainly go ahead and ask me <laughs> okay well I've been struggling to lose weight for quite a while, and yeah. I can't afford a personal trainer. <laughs> yeah. So I was wondering if maybe you could get Lionel to like just say a couple of phrases that I could whack on my iPod to egg us on. Of course, of course. Do you have those phrases uh, in mind? Oh uh, no, and well, I need I need maybe one or two just to keep me motivated when running if I'm like. Feeling a bit down, gonna uh, like give up, but then also. Maybe. All right. Yep. Certainly. Do you want to record those now? Yep. Okay. Are you ready? Go for it. Come on, Wayne. Just a little while longer now. You're almost at the finish line. Come on, Wayne. Maybe this will help. When you feel you can't go any further, just do what Lionel does. Just go. Thundercats. Ho! <laughs> <laughs> I like that, and and maybe right. maybe just one telling me off if I'm about to uh, eat some snacks. Oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> Are you ready? Yeah. So, Panthro, we've got to go to Cat's Lair. And hang on a second, Wayne, 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 put that down. Wayne, what has Lionel told you? No fats, no sugars, and definitely no beer. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Right. Now, thank you so much, Larry. My this pleasure, means so much. May I just ask you to close with a uh, Thundercats ho? Certainly. You know, you really, you know who the. I always say that Chitara was the original Thundercats ho. But uh, <laughs> Lynn Lipton doesn't think that's funny. All right, are we ready? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Thunder! 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 Thundercats! Oh! I still got it. Thunder! 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 Thundercats! I'm going too high! Oh, Lionel! We're not... What's the matter, Snarf? You got a cold. You, you've got to snap out of it, Lionel! Call the Thundercats before... Shut up, you fuck. Let's find the Mega Condenser. I'm saying that too fast. Let's find the Mega Condenser. Still going too fast. What's wrong, Lionel? Oh, fuck, here it is again. What? What's here again? That thing, that, that mega thing. Want me to say it? Yes!
I should have known the Terrator didn't mean us any harm when the Sword of Omens didn't obey me. And anyway, it was just plain stupid to assume it might be bad. Just <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck am I talking about? And keep your foot off that blasted flange. What the <laughs> fuck is a flange? I have to do that again. I'm going to put this one right between her pretty. <laughs> That's the line of the show right here. Motherfucker! You fucking dog, Shut the fuck up! Get over here, bitch! Ah! Damn! Run out the fucking plank, boys! Come here, motherfucker. I want to see your tits, my dear.